Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 13 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, and I am your host, and if this is your first episode, this is a show where nearly each and every episode, we look at a Superman and Batman team-up from throughout the years. While we might take occasional sidesteps elsewhere, those team-ups mostly are chosen at random from the pages of World's Finest Comics where the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight teamed up for more than 30 years. This episode, we are going to be looking at something that, while it might be a lesser-known part, it, it still, to me, is an iconic part of the Bronze Age of comics. And it's also something that I've thought for quite some time would be fun to podcast about, so I'm, I'm glad to get into it. But before we actually do that, I've got a special guest with me. She's someone who knows a little bit about Bronze Age comics and podcasting, as, as she is host of two excellent comics-related podcasts. So, please, well, I was going to say, put your hands together, but if you listen to podcasts while driving, as I do, that could be rather dangerous. So, please, in a manner that is both inviting and, and safe to whatever activity you're currently partaking in, please welcome Emily Middleton. Hello, everybody. Hello, Michael. Hello. Thank you very much for coming on. This is the, uh, as we were talking about before we started recording, this is uh, the first time I've podcasted with someone in, in quite some time, and, and the first time we've ever podcasted together, so. And the first time I've ever podcasted with anyone, period, except my dad. So, oh, wow. this is, this is going to, this is a first. This is my first solo co-hosting, visiting, taking over somebody else's show time. Yeah. So, wow. And, and. As we also talked about before the show, we are both experiencing some technical issues on our end. So this could be an interesting episode. Uh, now, Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase, which are the two podcasts you host or co-host, both started in July, correct? Uh, yes, July or first week of August, something like that. And those were your first podcasts? Yes, well... It's a little bit of an interesting story that my dad has been a co-host for a couple of podcasts. You might know him from the internet as Professor Allen. And uh, one day during the summer, I walked up to him and said, hey, dad, you know, you've been co-hosting for a while. I'm interested in starting a podcast, too. And we decided, well, let's give ourselves a couple of months, see if we can figure out how to do this tech stuff on our own and come up with some interesting concepts. And uh then decided to launch for real with the relatively geeky network in uh, in August or so. And I know you talked about it on those shows, but in case anyone listening to this hasn't had time to listen to those yet, how did you get into comic books themselves? Well, I've been a nerd and comics reader for a really long time. My dad's been collecting and reading comics since he was a little kid, and so I grew up in a very comic-friendly, nerd-friendly environment. And uh, have been have been reading random issues out of his uh, long boxes since I was like five or six. Uh, and then when I was in college, we had a comic store on campus, and I started getting back into reading comics that were coming out regularly. I jumped onto the New 52 as much as I have issues with it. It did, in fact, get me back into comics, so well done. And uh, yeah, I, I realized when I was in college that I was the closest thing to a comic book expert that a lot of people knew. And I was like, wow, that is sad because I really don't know much about anything. 
So I thought, well, I should go and educate myself about some comics history and really dig into some stuff that I'd never read before. And that was sort of the premise for starting Uncovering the Bronze Age. It was a chance for me to read books that were published way before I was born and sort of see what comics were like in the 70s and 80s instead of just the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, and that's actually a good segue to talk about what we're going to or to to mention what we're going to talk about this episode because we're going to be looking at as I said something that I consider a, a very iconic part of the Bronze Age of comics and that comes from World's Finest Comics number 215 which is the first appearance of Bob Haney's Super Sons maybe not Bob Haney's most well-known series but I I would say it's definitely one of his most infamous um, according to Mike's Amazing World, this issue and its 32 pages were released October 17th, 1972, for a price of 20 cents. Uh, the cover to the book is by Nick Carty, and it shows two teenage-looking young men dressed in Superman and Batman costumes, ripping a poster of Superman and Batman from a wall as the, uh, the Batman-clad teenager yells, We're going to run our own lives now! You can't stop us, super dads. Oh my gosh, that's the best line ever. <laughs> and I wanted to know where they got that poster, because I really... It's a pretty cool you want, poster. You want the poster? I want the poster, yes. Um, <laughs> beginning with this issue, the title was uh, Murray Boltonoff took over as editor from Julie Schwartz. And the uh, the 24-page story inside was illustrated by Dick Dillon and inked by Henry Scarpelli and written, of course, by Bob Haney. Now, this isn't Bob Haney's first story in World's Finest Comics, as he had a five-issue run in 1970 when Mort Weisinger was still editing. But this is the first issue in what became a nearly unbroken run that lasted nine years on the book. So, how did... Haney began such an auspicious and and probably, to be completely honest, unforeseen run? Well, let's find out. Did you ever wonder if one day Superman and Batman had sons, what they'd be like? Heroic chips off the old block or super duds? Wonder no more, faithful ones. Imagination? Put on? No. For now, here, revealed in all its shock and human anguish, the sensational, top-secret, world's finest story that cried out to be told, Saga of the Super Sons. And we open with a splash page showing the sons of Superman and Batman in coffins as the world's finest heroes and their wives, faces conveniently in shadow, mourn. Flashback to a few weeks prior at the Metropolis home of Clark Kent, a.k.a. Superman, whose wife nags him into calling their son, Clark Jr., who hasn't been heard from in days. Superman puts in the call, and the two squabble about responsibility and independence, with Superman basically coming off as an overbearing parent, and Clark Jr. coming off as a whiny teenager. Suddenly, Clark Jr.'s end of the conversation is interrupted by a random biker gang. Because of course. Because Haney. Yes, exactly. Clark Jr. lets lets out his frustrations on the gang like a one-man wrecking ball causing the gang to turn tail and run, just as Superman shows up. The Man of Steel lectures Clark Jr. about, you know, not acting like a big wimp and blah blah blah, which ends with Clark Jr. stomping off and again acting like a whiny teenager. Meanwhile, in Gotham City, we catch up with Bruce Wayne, aka Batman, and his offspring, 
where the Dark Knight and, and his son have similar arguments. Alfred Pennyworth, somehow still alive, turns on the TV where the news reports about the actions of the Batman, who apparently the night before clobbered some crooks who are now attempting to sue Batman and the city for false arrest and assault. Bruce is dumbfounded, but Alfred reveals he found an extra bat suit in Bruce Jr.'s room, and Bruce berates his son for trying to be a hero. Bruce Jr. finally gets fed up and angrily swings off the roof via a randomly placed zipline. Again, because Haney. Later, we catch up with Clark Jr., leaping his way across the country towards Gotham. Generation 2 of the world's finest meet and commiserate about their shared parental issues and how their dads just won't trust them. Elsewhere, the original world's finest are busy eavesdropping on their sons. Because nothing says trust like electronic bugs and wiretaps. They finally resolve to do something to let the boys step into their own, but really only because, once again, their wives kind of twisted their arms into doing it. Batman brings up Rocco Krug, an aging crime boss in Sparta City, and suggests they send the boys to take down Krug as a test. Superman's not keen on using the entire city as a testing ground, so he suggests an improvement to Batman's idea. He plans on creating a duplicate of Sparta City, quote, exactly like the real one, except when the experiment is over, it'll vanish, and no one except us will be the wiser. And much like I'm sure most of you just did, Batman asks how Superman is going to create a duplicate city that will just inexplicably vanish later. Well, Superman plays coy with the Dark Knight. Because Haney. But thankfully, we are privy to the Man of Steel's actions. And Sparta City is a lot like Lex Luthor. It has a fault. Namely, the San Andreas Fault, which runs directly underneath the city. Superman takes advantage of that by diving into the water and shaking the strata so hard that it affects the city's rotational and orbital speed, thereby causing a temporary duplicate city slowed in time and space to one day in the past. <laughs> it makes <laughs> it makes no sense and even less so when Superman's next action is to catch up to the world's finest sons who are easy ridering towards Sparta City on a motorcycle and Superman whip cracks the road force accelerating the boys and sending them into the duplicate Sparta City rather than the real one and probably because science is <laughs> and probably causing untold property damage by tearing up the entire road to do so. Ah, but while all this is happening, we get a quick interlude, introducing the on-his-deathbed crime boss, Rocco Krug, as well as his son, Rocco Jr., who, much like the world's finest heroes, isn't really getting along with his dad too well, and he, he doesn't seem at all saddened by his father's illness and doesn't really want to follow in his father's crime-doing footsteps. So, as the boys arrive in Sparta City, they quickly get caught in the middle of a 1970s action movie, complete with Rocco's thugs, a high-speed car chase, and poorly aimed gunfire. The boys make quick work of the thugs, much to the chagrin of Rocco himself, who has made a strange and miraculous recovery. The next day, Superman Jr. and Batman Jr. revel in their newfound freedom. After a really awkward pillow fight, the boys ride off to continue their war on Rocco's crime ring but find their motorcycle acting odd. Superman Jr. throws Batman Jr. to safety before the bike explodes, 
and our junior crime fighters realize that Rocco has also declared war on them. During the next few days, the boys bust heads and take names, dismantling Rocco's crime empire piece by piece. Unfortunately, it's getting them no closer to Rocco himself, as they just don't have the evidence needed to take him down. The next night, the Super Sons set up a meeting with Rocco's son. Batman Jr. says Rocco Jr. contacted him, saying he'd give them what they needed to take down his old man. Superman is suspicious, thinking it could be a trap, and hides nearby as backup. Rocco Jr. shows up and hands Batman Jr. the evidence, but sure enough, turns on the slightly less dark night, holding him at gunpoint just as a bomb explodes in Superman Jr.'s hiding spot, rendering the Jr. Man of Steel unconscious. Rocco Jr. joins his father, and the two take our heroes to a nearby dam being built by Rocco's construction company. They toss Superman Jr. inside, covering him with tons of wet cement, sealing his doom. The elder, the elder Rocco tells his son to do away with Batman Jr., then gets in his limo and drives away laughing Mr. Burns style as a gunshot rings out behind him. Meanwhile, in Metropolis and Gotham, the boys' mothers once again nag their husbands into checking, it, checking up on how their sons are doing. Superman flies to Sparta City, but is distraught when he sees a healthy and vibrant Rocco telling the press that the Super Sons are dead. And so, a sad day comes, as a mourning world's finest must bury the sons that they love. Rocco shows up at the funeral, and tensions build between the heroes and villain, as well as the heroes themselves. That night, Rocco sees a vision of Superman Jr. and Batman Jr. looming above him. A dream? A hallucination? A ghostly visit from beyond? Rocco needs to know for sure, so he visits the cemetery and is shocked, shocked I say, to find the graves open and the heroes' bodies gone. Suddenly, from the shadows, the junior heroes appear, startling the crime boss. The Super Sons explain they faked their deaths, aided and abetted by none other than Rocco Jr. himself, a joint effort used by the younger generation to rid the world of Rocco's crime empire once and for all. The crime boss tries to evade justice by running, but trips over a tombstone and dies when his gun accidentally fires. Sometime later, Clark Jr. and Bruce Jr. reunite with their fathers, who congratulate them on a job well done. But the Super Sons point out that Hey, you kind of lied to us with the whole fake city thing, which just shows that you still don't trust us, and oh yeah, the real Rocco's still out there. But Batman points out that the real Rocco, through convenience of plot, died of a heart attack, so everything turned out okay. But you can have your hero bag back for now, Bruce Jr. tells the elder heroes. It's too grim. We're off to find some laughs. See ya, super dads. And Clark Jr. and Bruce Jr. right off into the sunset the end all right (laughs) (laughs) kind of an abrupt ending Uh, so that happened (laughs) so what'd you have on this one well it was interesting uh i've heard you mention your love of the super sons on some of your earlier episodes of this podcast um i don't think i like it quite as much as you did but it was um it, it was interesting. I'm glad I read it. <laughs> Some weirdness starting from like the third panel of the entire story where Superman is sitting in his full costume in his kitchen. At the breakfast table, yes. <laughs> Just for no reason. 
except to establish who he is. Yeah. Now, as a fan of the Super Sons and both Superman and Batman, who would you like to think are these two mysterious, nondescript, dark-haired, faceless women that they've married? Well, I would say that Superman's wife was probably intended to be Lois. Right. Even though they couldn't show that. The the Batman one is a little more questionable. Because um, at least in this issue, we never really even get a good look at her hair color. Unless right. we missed it. I don't think so. So it could be any number of, you know, Bruce's significant others from throughout the years. All right. The reason I bring it up was, of course, that my dad was Sorry. reading through this as I was reading through it. And uh, he uh, he was pretty upset by the definite hair color because that meant that it couldn't be Lori Lamaris, his ah, personal yes. favorite pick of the super <sighs> girlfriends. Uh, let's see. And I, I will say, just because this is a good time to bring it up, this this story really does embody all the wackiness that is associated with Bob Haney's stories. I mean, you've got the, the hip teen speak and the, the complete blatant disregard of continuity and and a lot of insanity that, insanity that I'm sure we'll get into. And and on the surface, there's, there's really not many reasons why I should like this. I mean, Superman and Batman both act way out of character. Uh, both generations act like cliches, and there's just a lot of ludicrous stuff here. But it's just so entertaining when you read it that that I can overlook the flaws and just enjoy the train wreck. And, and calling it a train wreck is kind of unfair because I don't consider it a, a true train wreck per se. Because there, I, I do think there are good parts to the story. Yeah. And, and despite the players being really one note or, or out of character, I think it's a pretty solidly told story. But it it, it definitely is a guilty pleasure uh, as far as something that I enjoy. Yeah, and I, I think that might be my, my biggest issue, actually, with the story is that it's very up and down, that there are moments that f- do ring a little bit genuine, even the crazy Bob Haney dialogue. Mm-hmm. For Bruce Jr., for me at least, actually worked pretty well because the character is so cocky and self-assured that this weird swinging 70s bizarre teen speak language sort of works for him yeah but then right after you get the scene with uh bruce and bruce jr which i actually did quite enjoy you know then you know within a couple of pages it's grab the road it's grab the road swing it like a carpet time space displaced vibrational city clone thingy yeah it's it's just a it's a weird story as a whole, but there's lots of good moments in it. Mm-hmm. And I, I also, I was on an episode of Charlie Niemeyer's Superman in the Bronze Age ages ago. And I don't remember if it was actually in the episode or when we were not recording, but we, we got to talking about the Super Sons a little bit then. And I told him that one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about the Super Sons was just the the spirit of comics that would let them tell a random story about, you know, Superman and Batman having sons and not have to worry about how it fits into continuity. I mean, it, it does bug me that it, does, it that it is, you know, disregarding continuity. But 
but I also like the spirit that, that they could just tell this random story and not have to worry about it, which you don't really get in today's modern comics. Right. And I did actually, I I got this issue in the uh, the Super Sons trade, and this week I did read the entire thing. Yes. Because it the first story was weird, but they got progressively better, mm-hmm. at least to me. Uh, and it did cap off with Denny O'Neill trying to fix that whole continuity thing, yeah. and I did not appreciate it. I was, I've talked, <clears throat> I've talked on uh, my show about how much I love Denny O'Neill's writing style, and I finally found a Denny O'Neill comic that I really hated because yeah. it it did take away all of that sense of fun. Mm-hmm. That that's really all the story had going for it was its tone, and. In that particular issue, they try to make it make sense with continuity, and it ends on a really grim and kind of sarcastic note. And I was just like, what am I reading? You have completely missed the point of these stories. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want to spoil um, what happens in that issue, because I'm sure I'll be covering it sometime down the road. But, right. But it does feel like he just sort of um, sort of dumped all over the whole concept with that story. Yeah. But speaking of that fun tone, really the thing that works the best in this story is any time, at least for me, any time that Bruce Jr. and Clark Jr. are just hanging out. So like the sequence where they're at the nightclub and they've met up and they go for a walk and talk about their issues Mm -hmm. or uh, even though it is a, a fairly poorly drawn panel and a weird concept the the pillow fight <laughs> just like those sorts of moments or even when um clark jr throws bruce jr off of the bike to save his life like those are the sorts of moments that really work where they're working on that sort of friend relationship mm-hmm. between the sons right. and then anytime it goes to trying to make a serious plot about rocco or uh dealing with their fathers it just sort of grinds to a halt for me and i'm just like i i really don't want to be bothered with all of this that's going on yeah i do wonder though how long these two have been friends or or we we learn early in the issue that bruce bruce mentions he found out two years ago that bruce jr says he found out two years ago that bruce was batman but for clark jr it seems only logical that he would have had to have found out his father's identity quite a bit before when his own power started developing so i wonder how long the two juniors have been friends and and did clark jr know bruce's secret before bruce jr did and if not how did the elder clark explain being friends with the random billionaire playboy and and how awkward were some of those excuses when they kept getting together it's just questions i have that i want to know yeah and i you know again this goes back to i I kind of I get the out of continuity random fun story but those are the sorts of issues that I'm actually pretty interested in mm-hmm. about and well what what were their lives leading up to this point and how long have they known each other and how do Clark and Bruce explain that they've known each other for years and all this and that's a uh, they they do go into those sorts of issues to it and they do go into those sorts of questions about the relationships in later issues, which I think is why I like them more, that there is less of the uh, villain of a week, villain of the week feeling that mm-hmm. you get in this story. But I don't know. It's just it. 
it almost works for me and then it 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 just has just enough silly weird bizarre convenient plot twists that can't quite totally get on board with yeah like the aforementioned duplicate city taking the strata <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that and it, this goes back to the sort of the expectations that at least that I have for a Bronze Age story is that most of the story feels pretty solidly Bronze Age. It has that sort of uh, that sort of emphasis on character relations and trying to make a cohesive story, even if it does disregard a lot of continuity, and then just absolute nonsensical pseudoscience that should have should have been in a 1950s book yeah and then it then it goes right back to the 70s book it's it's a very it's a very odd feeling but that's you know that is something that happens a lot in the early bronze age that there are the people who are writing it are people who grew up reading 50s stories and so there is both uh, an attempt to keep up with the types of stories that people are writing and expecting in this time period and also some nostalgia for the silly crazy zany weird stories that were happening 20 years earlier Mm -hmm. it does make for an interesting read that's for sure (laughs) and and the interesting thing is i don't think that this story would have ever gotten told with um julie schwartz still editing the book yeah no because you know he he when he came on the Superman titles. He he took a much more. Um, I, I don't want to say realistic. Cause that's not the word. Um, more grounded, I guess. You know, he he yeah. he decreased Superman's power. Well, he Denny O'Neill did it, but you know they they took Superman down power wise. They put him into the uh, news reporter, the t- television news reporter slot. They they and they they tried to modernize and ground him a little more. Right. Instead of having this outlandish stuff, which, you know, and I enjoy both. I'm not saying either one is wrong, but. And that actually does bring up an interesting point with uh, talking about Superman Jr.'s power levels, that they specify he's half human. Right. Which did sort of remind me of Kryptonite Nevermore. I just read it a couple of months ago, so it's pretty fresh in the brain. But the idea of trying to decrease superman's powers in order to make him more relatable you sort of get that same effect with superman jr that he's not completely impervious to bullets they bruise him Mm -hmm. and he can't just shake off an explosion they knock him unconscious just little things like that that i think actually do do keep the power level down at the very least so that you have that sort of more relatable sort of superman that we would expect from the 70s and didn't they say at one point yeah, when he's le- when he's um, going from Metropolis to Gotham, that 100 mile leaps are my limit. Right, he cannot so. technically fly. Right. So, so really, he's he's more um, more like the Golden Age Superman at that point. Right. If he's yeah. just leaping and yeah. Hmm. This this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier um, with wanting more background and stuff. Despite being 24 pages. You know, Haney did pack a lot into these twenty-four pages. Oh yeah, and it's it's a shame that it couldn't have been expanded to maybe 
twice the size because there are places where he could have used more room. There, you know, there could have been uh, a little more explanation and setup at the beginning. And I think there's a lot of potential uh, for more scenes or, or more story when the Super Sons die. Because we get a couple really uh, interesting panels there at the funeral itself. And this might go into what, what your next note there. Um, let me get to the page. Yeah, they're, they're at the funeral. Rocco shows up, and um, Batman is wanting to go after Rocco, but Superman kind of holds him back. And then you get a panel at the top of the next page where there's actually some tension between Superman and Batman and Batman's wife. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved to have seen that played up for more than just two panels. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was almost my feeling is that the setup of finding out that the boys are dead was uh, actually – I felt that the uh, setup of finding out the boys are dead and then actually being at the funeral, I didn't really get terribly invested in because as a reader, I'm like, well, obviously they're not dead. Right. I mean they're not going to kill these two characters off in their very first appearance. That's not going to happen. Right. So all of the tension comes from the the way that Superman and Batman feel about this situation. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really get that until the point where Batman actually does show some emotion and says that I'm I'm going to like let let me at him. I'm gonna go beat this mob guy to a pulp. And Superman holds him back and Batman gets upset at him. Like that was actually pretty good. And again, two panels. Yeah. Couldn't have couldn't have had a page of that, maybe. That would have I think helped. A bit. And to be fair, it's possible that readers at the time could have thought they were going to kill off the Suns because they didn't have the advantage of having, you know, the entire trade paperback true, at the end of true. the story. So. Yeah. And, uh, and even though that I knew that Krug Jr. was going to sort of end up on their side, that they show early enough in the story that he doesn't agree with what his father is doing the uh the blowing up the car that superman jr is hiding behind actually did sort of oh wait maybe maybe i was wrong it got me to question my assumptions mm-hmm. just enough that i could sort of suspend my disbelief until they revealed how they worked the whole situation out to fake their own deaths yeah one thing i i, I it just occurred to me one thing i did not mentioned in my synopsis is why Krug was sick at the beginning and then got better and they mentioned I'm not sure where it's at in the story but they mentioned that when Superman created the alternate city it must have done something that caused Krug to where is that in the story yes uh, page 20 where he's he's thinking that the where Superman thinks the tremor caused a short circuit in that life support caretaker machine thingy okay, right. that Krug was hooked up to and because of science it <laughs> gave him another five or ten years of life. Right. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Pseudoscience aside. Yeah. And really, why not just have Krug be healthy the whole time in, in both universes? Of course, then they wouldn't have the reason to send him after okay never mind yeah they sent him after Krug because they thought he'd be easy to take down yeah which yeah 
Which again comes back to Superman and Batman being kind of assholes in this whole thing and just that they want to give their sons a test. It's like, okay, I can I can sort of get behind that, that, okay, you know, you want to prove that you can be superheroes. All right, go and clean up this city. But again, it goes back to this trust thing that their sons are actually totally right that they super that uh, Superman and Batman don't trust them to be able to take down an actual crime boss. Right. Which comes into this whole make a fake city where what they do doesn't really matter. And mm, I just the scientific ramifications of the whole make a duplicate time displaced city thingy. Like, that's bad enough, but I actually think that the sort of um, the logic behind it is kind of worse. Yeah. Because it does, it, it feels Silver Agey in the really bad sense of the Superman leaving Jimmy Olsen to die in a desert to teach him a lesson, sort of Silver Age silliness. Yeah. Well, the pseudoscience is easy to overlook because we are dealing with fantasy and, you know, an alien from another planet with you know who can fly and shoot death beams out of his eyes um but but when you get the character and how the how the characters are acting that stuff needs to ring true or the story falls apart a lot quicker and it was also interesting to me that it was basically the mothers that kept uh, basically nagging the heroes into moving the story along but yet they're never really shown outside of shadows and right. I know why they're not shown. I mean, I know both the ultimate in-story reason and the, the the logistical reason here. But I wonder if Haney making the mothers such a driving part of the story wasn't his way of compensating for the fact that he couldn't show them. Right. Which, again, you know, I get. But then it does just really sort of gloss over Superman and Batman's involvement, that they yeah. don't really want to be involved in the story, and it is the the feature is the Super Sons. We're here to see the Super Sons. But, but every time I see the Super Sons, I'm like, oh, yes, this is interesting. I how are, how are these two characters going to work together? What dangers are they going to face? And then every time it goes back to Superman and Batman, I just go, oh my gosh, can we get on with this? Like, yeah. I don't think that that's ideal for a book that is still theoretically about Superman and Batman. I don't know. It There's a fine line between stepping aside to let someone else have the limelight and actually being really obnoxious to right. read. Right. Well, this has been an interesting conversation because I didn't come into this expecting to just, you know, gush over the stories as I have on past episodes because I, I realized that the story had its flaws, but, you know, I, I, I've I've got a little more of a critical view of it now than than I did before before we even started recording the episode. So this is this has been interesting. <laughs> awesome. I'm I'm jading your perspective. No 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 <laughs> not jading so much as as I guess opening my eyes a little bit maybe. I'm not sure if that's even the right phrase, but um, yeah. what did you think of the art? It was all right. Um, I, I thought it was definitely serviceable for the story. Like, it didn't distract me at all, except for that one panel where Super <laughs> Superman Jr.'s eyes are going in two different directions. He's getting hit in the face with a pillow. Yeah. But all the rest of it worked. Uh, for me, especially the action sequences were yes. really, really good, um, particularly the first 
fight where Superman Jr. and Batman Jr. are taking on the thugs. Mm-hmm. And they see the thugs and it is the action movie, car chase, cable car, machine guns blazing. And one, they have to change into their costumes on a motorcycle. Yes. Which means that Bruce is wearing ripaway pants. Yes. Think about that for a second. That could have been a much more interesting breakfast conversation if that's what Alfred found instead of <laughs> a costume. <laughs> but it, it it's just very, very dynamic art that you really do get the sense of weight and speed and leaping onto one car from the other and kicking and punching and all those mm-hmm. awesome things. And then any sequence where it's just sort of people talking or ex- explaining exposition, they're sort of, eh, you know, fine. Um, there was a little bit of a, a minor issue that I had with the art is that since Superman and Superman Jr. and Batman and Batman Jr. look so similar, that's a problem. But since Batman and Superman, Bruce and Clark out of costume actually look very similar, there were a couple weird moments where it felt almost like Superman Jr. and Clark Jr. that Clark Jr. and Bruce Jr. had like switched faces just because of the angles. Hmm. So that was that would just threw me off a little bit. Just anytime it's focusing on the faces, I occasionally felt a little a little off. But the action is amazing. The like the the inking is amazing. The shading, everything, it really does work to the betterment of the story. Yeah, um, I'm kind of like you. Uh, as far as liking the action scenes a lot. I, I'm not the biggest Dick Dillon fan to begin with, which is, pu- I, I will admit, it's purely a taste thing. Um, there's just something about his art that is a little off-putting to me. I didn't really like it when he was doing Justice League, but at least there he was inked by uh, Dick Giordano for most mm-hmm. of it. So oh he had that going for him. But, you know, like you said, it, it's perfectly serviceable here, and the action scenes are really, really great. Um both the the two action scenes at the end or towards the end of the book uh, the montage on page 16 is really nice yes and um yeah it, it's really the scenes where they're just kind of standing around and talking that that seem the most inconsistent and and uh poorly drawn if you look yeah. at that splash page at the beginning the, the that opens the book right there's something really wrong with both the juniors and even Superman looks a little off. Yeah. The, the neck is weird. Yeah. Neck. Yeah, with it's not so bad with Batman because he's basically the only part of his face you can see is from his cheekbones to his chin. Right. The rest of it's just blue cloak wrapped around him, but yeah, there's something there's something weird going on with Superman's neck and Superman Jr.'s like chin and nose and it's just it's weird. Yeah. Like I said, the, the faces are the weakest part of yeah. all of this art. So where is, at the beginning of the story, where is Clark Jr.? Uh, some form of community center thing that has a bunch of PSAs about drugs in the background. <laughs> Possibly rehab. <laughs> no, it, it, I think it says a little bit of like community center in the window. Okay. I think is the assumption he's looking for a job. Oh, okay. So he's trying to make good of himself. Yeah. 
And once again, Superman's just an overbearing parent. Yeah. And then random biker gang. Yeah. <laughs> I love the random biker gang, if only because I just read an issue of uh, Jack Kirby's Jimmy Olsen ah, from yes. the 70s, and there is an amazing pair of issues involving bearded biker gangs yes. in the jungle. And it, I was just like, oh, they, they fell in from Jimmy Olsen. Okay, I can roll with it. It's the 70s, so we... It's the 70s. All right. Well, did you have anything else on this? Um, the wrap-up was really quick, uh, but I did like the... Again, this goes to the thing. Anytime there's not faces, I'm, I love the panel layout, but uh, Rocco's actual death and the sort of cosmic irony of, in the end, he does shoot himself through the possible intervention of his wife that he trips on her tombstone and ends up shooting himself. And I was yeah. Like, that was, again, these are those things that there's moments of extreme silliness and deus ex machina, and of course everything worked out conveniently. And then there are a couple moments of, oh, that's actually a really interesting sort of moving moment. Again, I didn't really have much emotional investment during the funeral, but this little two-page section where Rocco dies actually did sort of get to me a little bit. I was just, oh, that's, that's a, an interesting place to take the story. Yeah. And, and then it goes back to the nice quick wrap-up. Oh, yeah, he's dead in the real world, too. Bye, motorcycle into the distance. Convenient, yeah. And, but they, and they never really resolve anything either as right. far as the conflict between the generations. Yeah. But... Which I think is where I get sort of my Silver age sense for this story, that there are a lot of bits that could happen in the Bronze Age, but it does really straddle that line for me. Because at the beginning, they set up the status quo that the sons and the fathers don't get along, and they all have difficulties, so they're going to go on an adventure, and then when they get to the end, nothing has really been resolved. Right. That they, they set up the, quo, the status quo, and they end with that same status quo. So Yeah. But as we talked about earlier, there are more Super Sons. In fact, issue um, – this was issue 215. Issue 216, 216 was the next Super Sun story. And all told, there were, I think, 12 Super Sun stories, 11 oh, of them big. being written by Bob Haney. Mm. So – or were yep. there more? One, two. Uh, yeah, 12. 12. Yeah. So, you know, we, we do get more of these down the road, and, and hopefully more of these will pop up on the show eventually. So Yes. Um, well, if you don't have anything else, I think we're going to go to a break, and then we'll come back for a look at what else is in the book and what else is on the stands. All right. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly! We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power! I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now, mankind 
shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. At least I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord. Until the Fantastic Four are no more, and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So speak. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn.com I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am back! You need to take the trash out. Hey, I'm trying to make a trailer for a podcast. Oh, you mean Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Why, yes, that is what I mean. The show where you and I discuss all things geeky. Comics, TV, movies, books, you name it. Well, are you going to tell them that you can find the show at www.supermatescomic.blogspot.com? Well, I think you kind of already did. And that new shows will be posted bi-weekly every two weeks? I was, but you just kind of did that too. Well, see, now you can go take out the trash. Great. So join us, Cindy and Chris Franklin, for the Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast at supermatescomic.blogspot.com. If you want to read this, you are definitely in luck. Um, as we mentioned earlier, all of the Super Sun stories uh, were reprinted in a trade paperback in 2007, and that trade paperback is called Superman Batman Saga of the Super Sons. And it's one I definitely recommend because it puts all the stories together in one handy package, including the Denny O'Neill story, which it isn't my favorite of the bunch, uh, but it, it also includes a story from the um, – there was an Elseworlds 80-page giant that DC put out in the 90s where Bob Haney came back and wrote – I think it was like an eight-page story that revisited the Super Sons. And unfortunately, that, that uh, Elseworlds book was pulped because of another story in the book, but they included the uh, Super Sons story in this trade paperback, so you – you get all the stories. Uh, but as for other things in this issue, this was the only feature in the book, but there are a couple ads that caught my eye, and they're both right in the center of the issue. First is an ad for superhero stick-ons. For $225 plus shipping, you get a 20 by 26 sheet of 14 stickers of various sizes that you, you can use to uh, stick on doors or notebooks or lunch boxes or cars or whatever and the stickers are of DC's greatest heroes including Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Supergirl and more. And I'm sure these are really cool, but the ad grossly exaggerates the <laughs> the size of them because it says the largest sticker is 12 inches. Yet in the rendering, the Superman sticker looks to be a good 4 feet tall. 
because <laughs> they, they show it stuck on the wall next to a lamp, and it dwarfs the lamp by a good foot. So if anyone bought these things and remembers them, please write in because I'm curious to know if the stickers themselves were the same as the images shown in the ad here or not and just how disappointed you were when they weren't, you know, larger than a small child. <laughs> but, uh, the other ad I want to mention is an ad promoting the return of Captain Marvel to comics, which is definitely an important moment for the character and, and, uh, and I think for comics in general. Uh, there is no letters column in this issue. Instead, it's replaced with a half-page column by Bob Haney. As I said, this was his first issue as regular writer, and the uh, the column he he talks a little bit about you know promising to do his best to make each issue slam bang exciting and trying to break new ground. He also says that Metamorpho will be making an appearance soon, which he does even if it's about six months or so after this issue and he goes on to assure us that the super sons are not imaginary not fantasy just a heretofore unrevealed part of our favorite heroes lives um but now it's time to head on over to mike's amazing world of comics at mikesamazingworld.com hop in the time machine and take a look at what else was on the stands and it seems like dc was putting out two kinds of books at this time. Genre books and books with Nick Cardi covers. Okay, so maybe there are there are more more than that, but these two categories definitely dominate the lineup here. Uh, what catches your eye here on this spinner well, rack, virtual spinner rack? Well, uh, there were a couple of, uh, of issues that I noticed. Again, the this book that we're reading came out in 1972, so it's right in the period that I'm starting to look at on my show. So one of these uh, issues I actually own, that random Tarzan 215. I haven't read it, but it's so far the only uh, – so far it's one of about four single issues from this time period that I've managed to find because I am incredibly cheap. Uh, someone threw it into one of our quarter bins at our last local comic sale, and I snatched wow. that up. Yes. Um, I found a couple others, but that's actually the most interesting. And it's Joe Kubert, so... I'm, I'm excited to read it at some point, but I have no idea what's going on except that there's a mine and a bomb or something, whatever. <laughs> and then uh, the backup story in Flash... 219 is a Denny O'Neill Green Lantern Green Arrow story, which I will be addressing at some point in the future. I'm doing a podcast about DC Bronze Age. Of course, I'm going to talk about the uh, hard traveling heroes. Mm -hmm. And this was right around the time, I think this was right around the time that the Green Lantern Green Arrow strip moved to Flash, if I remember correctly think so because they they it was in green lantern but then they canceled green lantern and stuck it as a backup in flash right we'll go with that okay <laughs> you, you honestly know more about this period than i do that's oh, why I don't, I don't know about that's that. why i'm reading all this stuff is to actually learn things so of, of all the ages of comics bronze ages is my weak spot so all right well i'll, I'll call charlie niemeyer next there you go <laughs> 
Uh, but there there are a couple Jack Kirby titles. The New Gods titles were winding down at this point, but he uh, had just launched Commandy and The Demon, which are interesting. Um, Batman number 246 is a fairly famous issue, I guess. Uh, how many ways can a Robin die where a... Uh, a criminal set, set, stages all these dummies and, and models for Batman, illustrating the various ways that Robin could be killed. Interesting. Interesting. It's got a neat cover of Batman coming in the door and shining a flashlight, and you can see uh, Robin's, or, or presumably a, a dummy of Robin's legs, dangling down like he's been hanged. Yeah. Uh, anything else catch your eye? Um... <laughs> Well, uh, since you pointed out the demon, I am a big fan of the demon, but aside from that, I, I haven't actually read any of the solo stuff. I mostly know the demon from the Demon Knights series that was mm. running this past couple of years in, in the New 52, which was excellent and, of course, got canceled. <laughs> um, really? I, there's, I, just, <laughs> there's just not a whole lot here. Um, no. A lot of, like I said, a lot of genre books. Ghosts yeah. and GI combat and oh Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. This... Yes, Merry Christmas everybody. Merry Christmas everybody. But this is kind of important because this was I'm pretty sure this was one of DC's first tabloid sized books, huh. which predates like the the limited collector series uh, and uh, what was the other one called? Famous. Well, there was Famous first, but then there was. Something collectors, yeah. But anyway, w- which ended up publishing like the Superman Muhammad Ali book and the Superman Spider Man crossover and oh, okay. Um, Action Comics four nineteen has a really cool cover of Superman rocketing into the sky directly at the reader. It's a Neil Adams uh, Murphy Anderson cover with the city sprawled Ooh. out below him. It's probably one of Neil Adams' top five covers as far as their iconic nature goes. Top five that Superman awesome. covers. It's a very awesome cover. Uh, but that, like I said, that's kind of it. I mean, unless... Just not a whole lot going... A lot of books, but not a whole lot to talk about. No. Um, so I guess that's it. Next episode, I will be all by myself again. But Emily, I want to thank you very much for coming on. Like I said, this has been a lot of fun, and it really did give me a, a a little different perspective on this book, one I didn't expect to come away with. So thank you for coming on, and I, and I hope you can come back at some point. I would love to. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell the folks where they can find your shows? All right. Well, you can look for us in iTunes. The feed as a whole is the Relatively Geeky Network, or you can search for my show in particular, that's Uncovering the Bronze Age, or the show that my dad, Professor Allen, and I do together, which is the Short Box Showcase. Uh, In that particular show, we talk about comic concepts rather than individual issues. So we did an episode on adaptations. We've done episodes on the greatest comics that you should read and things of that sort of nature. Then my dad has his solo podcast, the Quarterbin Podcast, which I am mandatorily required to plug because he's my producer. Uh, He talks about his favorite kind of comic books, cheap comic books. And yes, they are actually comics that we buy for 25 cents. People have asked about that. No, yes, we have, we do have Quarterbins at our local comic store. We're very lucky. Very lucky. (laughs) A few weeks ago, not to 
interrupt you, but a few weeks ago, now go ahead. I went on a, I had a day off work, so I went to, um, I live in southern Indiana, so I went to Indianapolis and up mm-hmm. that way, and I visited probably six different comic shops between here and throughout Indianapolis. Not a single one of them had any kind of discount bins. Ooh. Not even dollar bins. Oh. Yeah. Ouch. So. If you want to look for our actual home on the internet, not just our iTunes page, it's relatively geeky podcast at blogspot.com. Dot blogspot.com. Whatever. <laughs> you, you threw off my groove. <laughs> That's what I do. Um, um, now, of the podcast that I mentioned, the uh, the short box showcase is sort of our accidental flagship podcast. That and the quarter bin are the ones that get released the most. To anyone who is interested in listening to my podcast, I apologize. I only have three episodes currently released. Sorry about that. But the next one, uh, as I was reading through the this trade, I really loved the second appearance of the Super Sons. And I read them back to back. And I think that's a little bit of why I was kind of down on their first appearance, because the second appearance is so good. So I will be covering that on an upcoming episode of my show. So consider that sort of the part two of this introduction to the Super Sons. Definitely check that out. Definitely check out all of the shows on the Relatively Geeky Network. Um, Shortbox Showcase. I really like the way you guys do have the more um, topical nature, I guess. You know, you talk about, you did a two-part episode, or was it three parts, on like the top... Yeah, it was it was three parts. Or, we okay. We, we recorded that for like four and a half hours. Ugh. It was it was unpleasant, <laughs> but I think the episodes were worth it. Yeah, and you talked about the ages of comics and, and various crossovers and stuff. And it, you know, you you and your dad have different perspectives because you're coming from different generations, and right. it's just it's it, it it's been a really a really great listen and, and a little bit of a change of pace from other podcasts that I listen to. So definitely check out all the shows on the uh, the Relatively Geeky Network. Uh, but that's it for this episode. Once again, I want to thank you all for listening, Emily. Thank you again for coming on. Thank you. And I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. Try and dig what we all s- say. Thanks for listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to Michael at GreatCrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at GreatCrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. 
Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. This episode was The Who's My Generation, from their 1965 debut album of the same name. If you like this or other music heard in the show, support the artist by buying the music. And the best way to do that is by visiting 2TrueFreaks.com. Click on the banner in the upper left corner of the site and be redirected to Amazon.com. Buy an MP3 or physical copy of the song, and 2TrueFreaks will get a little kickback on every purchase. So not only will you be getting good tunes but you'll be helping out some of the hardest-working folks in podcasting. And best of all, it won't cost you anything extra. <laughs>